We are back at the Museum of Street Art. Just had a great interview with C. Taught us a lot. Only wanted to go about 15 minutes. Went 35. You're welcome, soul listeners. That's what you get. Bonus coverage from the coolest events in the city. And now we're going to slow it down. Get a little less artsy, bike girl. Less artsy. And more, more business artsy. Ah. With us, we have Angelo from Doyle Auction House. Hello, Angelo. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Glad to see you again. We first chatted with you at Moniker, and it was right after the Van Gogh and Basquiat and all those crazy big paintings that were set in all sorts of crazy records in the summer. That's right. So how are things out there? I I, I mentioned it uh, briefly when I saw you earlier, just in my end of the world, people are spending money all over the place. They are. You know, there's a lot of things happening, you know. There's a lot of uh, deals being made. So, you know, my phone is ringing constantly on on both ends. People looking to buy, people looking to sell. Uh, It's it's a really intense time. Now, is the selling just the sort of testing the market, taking profit type of thing at this point? Or is it people turning over their collections? I mean, there are people who enjoy the trading of art much like they would trading baseball cards when they were were kids, you know. it's the same attitude, just there's more zeros behind it. Yeah. Um, it's really where we're at as a culture, at least, in that level of, you know, the commodification of art. People are buying and selling things, keeping them in free ports, holding them in, in a way where maybe they're not just a collector anymore. They're more collecting with the idea of always trading for whatever... Um, so there's a million billion different reasons. I mean, you know, we were taught in the auction world that they that there's the three D's: death, debt, and divorce. <laughs> you know, and that's that's why you would bring something to auction. That's really not necessarily the case anymore. There's so many more reasons why people are participating in the business of trading art. Now, is it? Let me ask it the right way. In terms of new customers, someone you haven't either sold or bought artwork for them in the past, are they dipping a toe in the water like excitedly? Oh my God, I have the money. I'm going to buy a collection. I'm going to buy some pieces. Oh my God, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm at that level. Or are these, are they more particular art fans that are looking for a specific thing or a genre or a time period? Like, what are the new buyers looking for? Most people know what they want. Or they think they know what they want and they can learn more about other things and realize Mm -hmm. they want to go in a different direction. You know, there's a lot of cautionary tales out there. There's a lot of people who purchase things for the wrong reasons or without enough information and they're stuck with something they don't love. Um, but, you know, for the most part, people are getting into collecting art for the joy of owning an artist that they believe in and voting with their dollars. And that's the smartest thing. I, I've never thought that anyone has to choose between investment quality and something they love. You can have both. You can look at something over your couch every day and love it. 
but isn't know that, that it's still valuable. But isn't that just because of the sheer volume of available artwork over the centuries? You should be able to dial into something that you love, whether you can afford it or not? Yes, yeah, yeah. By and large, that's correct. I mean, you know, we have a lot of art on the market, and, you know, if art speaks to you, you should be able to hone in on something that is specific to your tastes, and that uh, you as a collector have invested in uh, researching and deciding why it matters. The, The problem becomes when... There are people who decide on an artist who's got a hype around them, and they realize that they are among a group of collectors who Just are chasing. Who are chasing, and they go, "Wait a second! I thought you liked this. No, wait! I thought you liked this." And they realize nobody likes it, you know. And and that's the art that largely lives in storage containers, where people are waiting for the time to flip. Um, One of the D's. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, you know, those people can sadly get in disillusion and step away from it because it's not doing the thing they thought it would do, which isn't the thing it should have been doing in the first place. Sure. One should not be able to buy a painting off a gallery wall today and sell it in two weeks for double the money. That those that, that is not an economic strategy that works and just because it's art doesn't make it different in that way from other things. There are people who are penny stock traders. That has a fluidity that moves at a different pace than artwork does. So really, at the end of the day, if the, if the bottom drops out of the market for that artist or art in general or whatever, if you don't still love the object at the end of the day... That's going to be a problem. See, now that's what you told me when, when you interviewed, when we uh, chatted at Moniker. Absolutely. I said, what makes you pick? What makes a buyer pick? What makes a uh, auctioner pick an artist? And you told me, Ronnie, if you don't love it, if you don't absolutely love the art, love the artist, love something, then you're, you're going to not care, you're not going to make money, and you're not going to help anybody. Yeah, I mean, if you are building a stock portfolio no one says I love Apple and I would love to own this stock I guess maybe they do but they probably don't it's a different mindset right however if you are decorating your home and you have the intention of decorating it with investment quality art there's a different mindset as there should be and yet there's still always with art an emotional connection Hey, that's a different. Absolutely. It's right Absolutely. there. There's always an emotional connection. Yeah. Um, you know, the people who I feel run into problems, the people that take something on because that's the way the trend is going and they feel like sure. they have an obligation to invest in it, like they would invest again in Apple stock or whatever. Um, I, I, you know, so if, you, if you don't trust your own eyes... <laughs> I don't think art is good for that, simply because without that emotional connection, how good are you at actually picking things that have value? That's true. Yeah. And I mean, I I fall victim to it myself sometimes. I'll see a trend and I'll say, what am I missing? You know, and I'm in the industry. Because you don't necessarily love it? Because you're not on board? Or I don't get what people are seeing. 
Now, I when I see a trend that I don't get, I just say, look at those assholes. I don't sit back and say, what, what's wrong with me? What That's interesting getting? that you're, yeah. you're looking at it and say, why don't I appreciate this as much? I think I'm a little more snap judgment about my, my opinions. What about you, Joanna? When you see a trend like the fidget spinner, did you say, I had to have one of those? Or you say, what is it with those idiots? I, I, I pretended I liked them. <laughs> Because I thought, I thought I don't want this wave to go against me. And I was like, like, oh, that's so great. Oh, yeah. That's the one thing I think that is good about age is you do get to a point where it's okay to say, not on my lawn. Right. Get yeah. off my lawn. But in his industry, in the auction industry, it's only what can bring the most value at auction. Right. Yeah. Regardless of whether you like it, love it, don't like it, don't yeah. get it, or anything else, no? I mean, there's plenty of art that we sell that I, I personally would not care to hang in my home. And that's fine. That's, that's But my you can still appreciate it. I can still appreciate it or understand what joy other people get out of something that I might not get out of. Does, does art appreciate and depreciate in, a, in kind of a slow growth? and slow deceleration way in a way that's predictable or is it a very volatile market? Yes and no. I mean, you know, the question I always get from people if they cold call me sure. is, oh, is the art market up or the art market down? Well, that's like saying, how's the weather on earth today? No. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> but, but nuanced, but, you know? But let's take a step back and could look at it the same way as the real estate market, seeing that it's cyclical, but, exactly. yeah. but far more uh. volatile than the real estate market, exactly. obviously, and there's far less product, and every product has far more opinions in the art market, mm-hmm. I get that, but when, and I'm speaking generally here, Joanna, but when interest rates are down, and unemployment is up, and we're not in any major foreign conflicts or things like that, and people sure. have more money to spend, and the markets are booming and doing what they're doing... The disposable income that can be spent on art is far greater than in down cycle and people say, oh, maybe I can buy a car now. Maybe I can start taking the express bus back to work instead of taking the subway. Even in the highest markets, when the markets are down and, and their interest rates are low, people curb their spending. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's not just uh, you know people making less than a million dollars a year that curb their spending. Everybody has to in, when when times are uh, uh, fluctuating. Yeah. So I would I would think in the art market, it's really less about the timing, whether it's up or down per se, and more about what you're selling. Because who cares if you could get ten percent more or twenty or fifty percent more for an, uh, a piece at auction? Isn't it more important that it sells today to someone that wants to pay for it? Well, you know, you can look at the stock market and go, okay, well, the stock market is, the, the, the Dow is up, so that means I as an investor have more disposable income to invest in art. That's one take. Or you can go, stocks are down, I'm going to take my money out and put it in something tangible. Real estate, fine art, jewelry, an object I can hold. In really tragic times, like specifically World War II, when people were fleeing parts of Europe, what were they carrying? Jewelry, artwork. What were the people who were targeting them attempting to plunder? Jewelry, artwork, tangible items. You know, Warhol famously said that 
you know, you should hang your money up on a wall, and that was the great art. And he's being facetious. We don't hang stock certificates on the wall. There's nothing lovely about that, you know. But a piece of fine art that someone wants to invest in. Um, and whatever the relationship they have with the gallerist or the artist, whatever it is, that's part and parcel to owning that object and living with it. Now, did you say you were one of the um, art assessors who was at who was at the Five Points trial? I, I was on the Five Points trial, absolutely, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was one of the witnesses. Now, I'm very interested. How does somebody, the, the term recognized stature, how does somebody determine whether art is of recognized stature or not? It's really open to a lot of interpretation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Western culture, American culture, ranks things by dollar value. Mm-hmm. So for better or worse, that's how that is. So my role in in the Five Points trial was coming in and saying, yes, this is an art form. I have been hired by a multi-million dollar corporation to sell this type of art. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't pay me a salary if it didn't make them money. It's a crass commercial way of looking at it, but it, it that's what they were after. Mm-hmm. If I look at it in that way, like if, if the world is going to interpret art only as having a dollar value, in the case of Five Points, we're saying, okay, let's prove to these people unequivocally that this art matters. Mm-hmm. We have to explain it to them in dollars and cents. So that was really, you know, a big part of my role. Okay. So, Angelo, let's let's talk a little bit about the noise level in here. Everybody's we got a lot going on. Everybody's having a great time. Again, thank you to Mears, Marie, Five Points Creates. Uh, it was just a great event here at the Museum of Street Art opening, and thank you again. Uh, I forgot my question, and I guess that's a good place to wrap it up. I now have, that's well, I have oh, one quick question. Okay. So what do you think the Hockney's going to go for? Oh, wow. Yeah. We're talking the highest price by a living artist. Do you think he's going to break the record? Could be. He's one of the great I mean, the living piece, artists. The piece is mesmerizing. Who has the, who has the record today for living artists? No, no living artist yeah. is... Um, living artist is... It's 50 million, and it was... I'm trying to think of who it was. Because I just remember reading about it two days ago. I should know I, this off the top Jeff of my head. Jeff Koons, it's the stupid balloon That's, dog. I'm, I'm sorry. Sure, I'm sure you're right. Cut sure balloon right. dog. It's the balloon dog by Jeff Koons. That's the highest living artist. So the highest living artist is <laughs> 50 million? Yeah, it was like 53 million, I think he got for that I, balloon dog. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And the Basquiat piece that recently sold for 110 was the most by an American artist ever and the most created for after any piece 80. after 80. Correct. But yes. they're, they're saying the Hockney's going to go for 80 mil. That, that was my question. Okay. Because Basquiat is one of the pioneers of the street and graffiti culture, was at the inception as gentlemen like this sexy pimp <laughs> motherfucker to my left. Look at these glasses on Zimad. Where'd you get these glasses, brother? These are limited edition, only 400 made. Do it. They look like they came out of Saturday Night Fever. I Fucking turtle shells the size of your head. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, what? My quest, let's get back to my question. So, as guys like this yes. get older and stop doing what they do, 
I'm not necessarily assuming that somebody that we know and have interviewed and is in the building is going to be someone that sells for hundreds of millions at auction someday, although it is possible. What is, what, what, what would make someone pop out of the graffiti era that is already still here and is already so mainstream? How do you take mainstream even more popular? You know, people are always looking for where the party is, right? Yeah. You're at a party. It's too packed. There's too many losers there. There's too many jerks. It's too hot. Where's the party? The keg's kicked. you got to go to the next party, right? So if you look at when Basquiat and so many other great artists were working in the Lower East Side... They were cool, but they weren't making the money. Right. At that time, who was making the money? Schnabel, Sally, um, a lot of these really great artists who were completely removed from that scene. Mm-hmm. Just like if you look at the Billboard charts for 1989, you're not going to see the bands we all love right now. You're not going to see great punk and hardcore bands or anything like that Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to see a lot of maybe pop singers who are lost to time so the target is always moving so you're calling Zimad Rod Stewart (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather be called Cindy Lauper (laughs) I'm sorry people, people have a tendency to look back upon the missed opportunities, the black sheep, the underappreciated, um, the cool parties they missed, you know, and those are often the artists, the entertainers, the performers, um, the filmmakers who were doing things um, without an initial response or a commercial Response. Or even commercial uh, degradation. If exactly. somebody was put down initially and wasn't respected, right, sure. Right, They're just, we missed it. Now we've got to go back 20 we, years we and blew figure it, it out. out. Now we got to pay too much for it. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, case in point, I've been begging people for years to please collect the work of Richard Hamilton. Yeah, and look, very few people wanted to take my advice until... Three things happened relatively at once. His documentary film came out. Mm-hmm. His work was included in the MoMA's exhibition of the Club 57. Uh, and he sadly passed away. That's one. That's actually two Ds and a different D. Documentary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this all happened in what period of time? Within like a few a, months of each other. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Within wow. a few months. Wow. So, you know, really... There are a lot of graffiti artists who, um, sadly, have said to me, you know, why, why don't... Um, I'm simplifying this, but like, why am I not Banksy? I, I'm better than Banksy, and how do... The phenomenon. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the phenomenon. And it's not repeatable. A lot of things have to happen at the same time for a phenomenon. You look at the Beatles. How many great bands were existing around the same time as the Beatles? Like many. Dave Clark Five, many. Zombies, or all yeah. these other bands. But there was a phenomenon that happened around the Beatles that, that is greater than 
what they did. They could not have written that up. You can't replicate it. You no. can't replicate mm-hmm. it. You no leader. Sure Banks, right. It's the right moment sure in Bas- time. Basquiat. It's mm-hmm. the right moment in time where a lot of things happen together. These are things that we sometimes don't realize until we have the time to step back mm-hmm. and review it. So now people are very, very interested in spending a lot of money to purchase the work of an artist like Richard Hamilton because the world has kind of come to it and looked at it again and said, yes, this is great because of these reasons. Mm -hmm. But it took a lot of things happening right at a certain time to make that the case. Now, does it ever happen where it's a reluctant pop where the artist either isn't ready too soon, the viral nature of the phenomenon is legitimate, but the, the artist didn't want there, didn't want yeah, that. sure. I mean, you can look at artists like Lucian Smith, who have been lumped into the, uh, the scene that's called zombie formalism, uh, where good galleries were and are showing uh, good art by young artists in their mid-20s and early 30s. This is maybe four or five years ago. Um, people were buying these things off the wall for a few thousand dollars, taking them and reselling them for three, four times that within a year or two. It's a bubble, and that bubble was not sustainable. That bubble burst. It took some good artists with it who may or may not ever recover. And that's, but, but respectfully, yes. Angel, I've never heard the term zombie formalism. Sure. That's, but I'm not, we're, a, I'm we're, not a traitor. We're pretty of, inside baseball under, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got, no, I we're in the weeds, but uh-huh. that's why I'd never heard of it, because right. it burst and went away before it was ever anything that would have made it to mainstream culture. Which is a shame, because now there is a black mark on good young artists who didn't ask for that. Mm. People saw an opportunity, at least they thought, to make a lot of money really quickly. And, you know, there is there is no great get-rich-quick scheme, you know? If you watch The Honeymooners, every episode, Ralph Cramden, you know, he thought he had the scheme. He was going to he was going to figure it out and it was always comedy because you know nothing beats hard work and the establishment of what time determines in art history where you can't just run in and go I'm going to buy this for five grand I'm going to take it across the street two weeks later and get twelve grand if things were that easy everybody would be doing it I think time is the ultimate judge unfortunately and, and for living artists, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to, you don't want to say, time will judge me in well, 30 years or 50 years. Five right. And that's why, that's why when uh, you know, someone talked about struggling artists earlier, you know, said no one should ever uh, agree or accept being a struggling artist because that's not an inevitability. Well, if you're trying to be an artist primarily, professionally, and only... That might not be an inevitability for everybody. There may be some lean times. You may have to pick up some side jobs and things like that. But the work always stands on its own, doesn't it, Angelo? We look at we look at the dude from the Cosby Show that got job shamed because he was doing a job in Trader Joe's. Yes. But his yeah. work stands on his own before that. Yeah. So you can't and anything that Zim had painted five years ago doesn't matter what he paints tomorrow. The work stands on its own. Mm-hmm. So is isn't it just? A, 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 a hopefulness of acceptance of time? 
you know, it's always a moving target. And the problem is that, unlike other careers, art does not follow the same path as it does if you are in, if you are, I don't know, a plumber Mm -hmm. or a doctor, where you go to a trade school or you go to a university, you get out and you do the job. Carmen Herrera is an artist who had her first solo exhibition at the Whitney in her, I think, late 80s or early 90s. No one really knew who this was 10 minutes before that happened. She's one story. There are also stories of people like Basquiat who were tapping out their 20s, you know? The, the The art market, the art community had kind of sapped them of everything and that happened then. You know, these things, they're different for each individual. It's, um, and, and it's tough in that way because art history is always changing and it depends on who's telling the story. Yeah, it, it depends on the textbook, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. I've read, to, listen, I'm trying to, now that I'm, I'm all up in it, I'm a, Angela, I'm on the other side of the brain. I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. I, fi- I founded technology businesses. I was at a technology business today telling them uh, how to get in line and do what they need to do so they could be more profitable. That's my brain. In my head, I'm like, I have to learn more about the art history. Zimed, I got, I got to read books. I read two books. They, they directly contradict each other. I'm just trying to learn about the same artist. You listen, you listen to the artist tell the, their story straight out. That's the only one that matters. And that's the only one that matters. And I feel the success of an artist is for each individual artist. Success for me is not going to a 9 to 5. And I feel like I'm successful whether I sell a piece or not. That's what I enjoy and that's my life. And I feel like I've been successful in what I do because I love what I do. See, and that's what I mean, Angela, the reluctance of it sometimes. You know, so this man, uh, I'm, not sp- I'm speaking for him. He would love to be a $10 million artist next year. I guarantee it. I don't have to ask him. Yeah. Because that he just wants to be recognized and get more for doing what he has been doing. That's what we all want. So how do you how do you deal with an artist that you're like, no, no, no. I can sell you. I know I can sell you. This is, this is the time. This is your time. And someone that isn't necessarily with it. I have the luxury in the auction world where the industry is designed that I really shouldn't be working directly with artists. Even though I'm the director of contemporary art, I'm supposed to be removed from it. Oh. You know, I'm, I'm in a place like this because I love this art. I love the people that make it. Um, you know, I'm off the clock. I'm not, you know, I could be at home watching the baseball game, but, you know, I'm here because I believe in it. And... It's not just a job to me. It's a career and it's a passion. Um, so it's it's really tough to wrap your head around because it really depends on who's telling the story. And the story's always changing. Um, I've read every biography ever written about Jack Kerouac. I was a big beatnik fan for a long time and I was really obsessed about that. I like the short beard, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and... Um, you know, depending on who was telling that history, the take was drastically different. You know, from good writer to terrible writer, from all-American football player to closet homosexual. And all of these things could be true or not true, but it's people's different takes on things. So 
you know, my role as an auctioneer in looking at this, stepping away from it, you know, I champion artists that I believe in and I feel I'm not going to ruin their market by taking something on and bringing it to auction best I can. It's still a gamble. Um, it's very different from the gallery world. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really... Is there a gallery world anymore? Oh, of course. I mean, but for graffiti, if that's, you know, really where we're at today, mm-hmm. you know, venues like this, this is a, a very, I'm sure, expensive hotel that didn't have to consider any of this art and could have gotten whatever they wanted from wealthy clients without including great artists and they've chosen to do that Um, and I think that that's where you're going to see a lot more passion than other you know more uh, conservative venues where it's you know here's our program this month is this artist next month is that artist and whatever so graffiti has always existed outside of the mainstream by necessity and now that there is a dollar value attached to it not a dollar value <laughs> big dollar values do you're right you're right biggest american after 1980 dollar yeah i'm born yeah. in 77 that may as well be my whole fucking life basquiat in terms of new york city art at auction i mean it's 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 for anybody that's born here or has walked the streets or has appreciated even one tag on the street you have to be blown away by that I mean you know I'm in my 40s I'm old enough to have been listening to the radio when hip hop first happened Mm -hmm. you know I was a grade schooler listening to Grandmaster Flash and you know uh, early LL Cool J and the Fat Boys and every great early rap star and all I heard the whole time was this is a trend it's gonna die it doesn't matter fast forward to I was playing in punk bands playing in basements touring the country putting out seven inches it's a trend it's stupid it's gonna die and you fast forward to now bass or guitar <laughs> which one I play drums I play oh I would not have guessed that forgive um, me you know these subcultures that everyone ignored or maligned or insulted are the ones that persevered. You know, because the the misfits, the weirdos, the people that define the culture at the end of the day. I think misfits is the wrong word. I think I think it's rebel. Someone that knows I know I should be walking on the right side of the swordwalk, but I'm gonna walk on the left. <laughs> yeah. Just the social anarchist the square peg in the round hole those are the people that succeed in life Steve Jobs said it a bunch of it's different ways it's the people you remember because when everybody's the same you don't remember them well it's not I, I, I think it's less about individuality Audrey and more about a mindset about organization I'm going to be the best organized person I'm going to do this I'm going to pay my bills I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to but then there's the artists and then there's the creatives and then there's the disjointed and then there's the uh, the unstable, and that's where the genius comes from in business. And I can only speak about the the, the pioneers of business, but some of these uh, pirates of Silicon Alley—they were psycho. These were not normal people. These were people that dropped out of Harvard and MIT. They were, and their parents were really worried about them in the garages until they made their first million. Well, it, like what's my? I mean, I mean, Bill Gates' parents will tell you they were terrified. 
that he was never going to come out of the garage. He dropped out of Harvard with no prospects. Yeah. That's not something you support, and that's art. That's the art of business, and that's the art of, of uh, being yourself. I think that most people don't understand that they can tap into it. Most people say, oh, I'm drawing since I'm six years old, and I never stopped, and I'm still drawing. I'm an artist. But why? Where's yeah. it coming from? Where's it going? I you don't know, have to ask this guy where it's coming from. He'll give me 60 reasons. Sure. Well, you know. 60. I think that anyone who wants to do these exciting things has to challenge themselves to do things that they're scared of. You, you know, when I was in my teens, sneaking out to go to the punk shows, you know, I was scared to death of the white power skinheads. And, you know, I got physically assaulted by a lot of them. It didn't stop me. I was still going to play music. I was still going to go listen to bands mm-hmm. because I believed I was a part of something. And by showing up, not only was I participating, but I was rejecting their culture. But as Angela, well. that's what culture is. Yes. It okay. A passion. It's a passion that you you have to do it. You have no no choice. It's it's part of who you are, and it's in your blood. Same as with writers and everybody. It's like if you didn't get it out, you probably would go insane. Because it's all in there and it has to come out. Believe me when I tell you that my wife knows that graffiti is my first love and she comes second. Sorry to say that, but it is what it is. That sounds like a good prerequisite for to represent an artist, does it not? <laughs> and tomorrow what I'm... Sleeping in the street. <laughs> Come by and give me a hand, please. Cuddle up next to that skinny cap there, Zimad. It'll give you the warmth. Don't worry. So, Angelo, um, I, I, I always enjoy our conversations. I think you and I are simpatico in terms of just seeing the scene and having a little bit of fun with it while we get our jobs done. I had the luxury of not being an artist and getting to kind of observe. And... Um, I'm lucky enough to be included in events like this around artists that I admire and I consider friends. And it's, it's I, I can't explain how, you know, wonderful it was just to descend the staircase and see all the many artists and, and what they did. Um, this is just one more, you know, great night that further defines how important this artwork is. So, you know, happy to be here. Well, we're very happy yeah. to be here again, and I think we're going to wrap it up here. So uh, thank you again to Mears, Marie, Joanna, Bike Girl, Zimed for sitting in with us. Thank you to Angelo from Doyle Auction House. Thank you very much. I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you for having me. I, I can't wait to do it again. Awesome. Have All a right, great night. You. We are out. We are sold out at Mosa.